0: Pastor Kelly, come on up here. I want to say a few words again. So uh, for those of you that don't know Pastor Kelly, uh, he is completing 35 years of ministry, and not all here at this church. The last few have been here at this church, but uh, been a faithful minister of the gospel. And even though he's not retiring until the end of this month, today is actually his last sermon. And uh, so uh, now in in pastor world, to make it to the end Faithfully is is an act of grace from God It's an act of discipline from those that do that and it's an act of grace from the church and so today I just want to say that I honor Kelly that we celebrate his his long ministry with us and Once again, I would like you to welcome Kelly for the last time to our pulpit And let's let's raise our hands a bit. Let's do this here
1: much, um, everyone, and the guys in the sound booth there. Chris, I know you have lots of fun with that stuff. He's given us away. appreciate that so much. Um, yeah, as Leighton said, I'm Pastor Kelly. Here four and a half-ish kind of thing, but 35 total. And yes, retiring. One of our values was to, we kind of had 60 as a goal and I'm not that far from that. And one of our values is to, to ladder our departure with Leighton's. He, he's made his time public, and we just felt it would be best for Ebenezer as a church family to, to work through those things in a timely way that we, we didn't want to, like, cramp the church in the midst of that. So that's one of our values, and we're not leaving. We're staying around. Uh, my kids are here in first service this, uh, earlier. My mom and dad are here now. I'm going to wave at them, and can you hear me? Yes, you can. You're not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> They're waving, so I won't be embarrassing them from up front for too too much longer, but we're staying, and that's our heart Um, and looking forward to ministering and understanding how to minister from that side of the stage again, so looking forward to that very much. Maybe I'll be an usher, I don't know. You can't picture me being an usher, can you? Not at all. So Anyway, about four years ago, I started running, and I got to tell you, I'm not a great runner. I'm not. I'm not very fast. And in all honesty, I'm kind of lazy, I'm a a lazy runner, and yeah, I've had a couple of injuries the last, you know, few years and a minor surgery, and I'm not 29 anymore, but excuses aside, I'm still a terrible runner. However, I've been going to our Ebenezer Run group that meets Monday night, little plug here, 6 o'clock at Rotary Park, if you want to come, come. And once you hear how I run, you'll be totally at home, right? So um, I've been going there and they've inspired me and they've motivated me. And as different people have come and gone, I've realized that there are actually a few people out there that I, I can run with and I can hang with. And maybe in that last block, just before you get back to the vehicles when everybody kind of goes a little harder, I might even be able to pass them. There is actually a few. Here's the first, the first group of people. If you're 60 years of age and older and have never run before, I might be able to pass you. (laughs) I might be able to. But if you've done any running or training in the past, even if it's not been that recent, you know, then, yeah, maybe not. Here's a second group. If you've recently given birth, (laughs) like in the last two months or so, I might be able to keep up with you. But if you run before, and like this is real life interactions. This is with people who have come and gone from run groups. So this is like, this is the honest truth here. If you've run before though, you know, once those legs and lungs come back, I just see taillights. And there's a third group of people that I can keep up with. And I I mentioned a little bit of this a while back, a couple years ago. When I first started running indoors at the Shaw Center, I was on the track in winter. And like, I am passing Everybody. I'm thinking, oh man, you're doing really good. This is the first time you've come to the track. You're just blown by everyone. They're all walking. And then I realize they're going into the corner of, of this kind of area there and they're writing stuff down and there's files. All of a sudden it makes sense. This is the cardiac care recovery group. <laughs> Seriously. And I was on the track with them and I was running with them by accident. Okay, So three groups of people that I can run with. 60 and over, you know, I can run with you. If you've recently had a baby, I can run with you. You've had heart surgery in the last couple months, I can run with you, right? I can keep up with, with these and maybe even pass you in the last block or so. I'm not a great runner. And most of you are probably saying to yourselves right now, well, then why do you keep doing this, right? Why do you keep putting yourself through this torture? It's kind of a last cause. Well, here's why I keep going. Because see, on Monday nights, even though i'm consistently at the back of the pack there's uh, one guy in particular for the most part every once in a while he just he just has to take off and that's good you got to celebrate that but for the most part he'll hang back with me nearly every time and we talk while i plod along i'm not sure how many of you do that visit while you're on it's actually kind of interesting um, but we talk while i plod along and we share about what's going on in our lives and We commit to praying for one another and we do that and we touch base in the week on occasion, check in with each other and we check in for sure you know, next time that we see each other on Monday nights. So I keep running because of the connection that I have there. I keep running because of the friendships that are there and the sense of Christian community and support that I feel there. And hopefully that I extend to others as well. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. See, we all long to have a place where we belong. To have a place where we can share and connect and be supported. And we long for that because we were built for that. We're built for relationship. Back in Genesis, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And I know that's in the context of of man creating woman and, and the helpmate principles and all of that. But the premise is there. We're built for relationship. And God's intention is that everyone who responds to Christ embrace how we're designed and connect deeply with others in our spiritual, physical, spiritual family. And that's what Leighton talked about last week. He got us going with the theology behind this. We're created in the image of God. God is one God, existing in perfect relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity. And that's the model that we're designed after. It's all about relationship. We were designed in that, with that in mind. We're hardwired. For relationship. And when we choose to follow Jesus, God's intention is that we connect deeply with others in our, our earthly spiritual family. Hebrews says, and Lane talked about this last week, that we draw near to God. We do that together. That's the idea. We give each other spiritual hope. We do that together. We spur one another on. I think he use the words push one another's buttons, you know, in a positive way to produce spiritual fruit. We do that together because God designed us that way. He built us to have a spiritual family. And from God's perspective, it's non-negotiable. So what does a spiritual family look like? In the New Testament, there are 59 times where Jesus and the apostles use a certain phrase, one another. And these one another statements were commands, and I think we could even go so far as to say exhortations that were given to the early church to practice in their relationships with one another. And so these are God's design, even God's ideal for what this spiritual family is supposed to look like. So these one-anothers were extremely important to the early church. One well-known, respected speaker, I think that, that many of us perhaps know and connect with it, is Andy Stanley, a respected speaker from our day. He says it this way: The primary activity of the early church was one-anothering one another. And so 59 passages, as I mentioned, obviously we can't look at all of them today. Maybe there'll be a sermon series on it at some point. I I don't know. Um, In the future, those decisions will be made. But what I'd like to do is just take and look at four, four of these, and kind of get the big pieces from these these kind of key one-anothers as to what our spiritual family should look like. So here's the first one. Love one another. This most important one-another is based in John 13, 34. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he says this. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now this command to love one another replaced the Old Testament law of Moses. And so this is a big deal. This was a big deal for all of the Jewish people. Instead of regulations and this old compensation-based way of interacting, Jesus commanded his followers to love one another. That other stuff, that's on the sideline now. We are supposed to love one another. So what does that look like? How do we understand this love one another? Well, the word that Jesus used in this verse, there's three original Greek words. The one that he used in this verse three times is agape. That's the sort of love we're to have for each other as a spiritual family. What is that? One writer defined it this way. Agape love is unconcerned with the self, but instead is concerned with the greatest good of another. Agape love isn't based in our emotions, but in our will and as a choice. Agape love is a decision to love which requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. Two passages that come to mind as I think of the agape love that Christ expressed toward us. The first one's in Romans. Paul says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And the second is in John's gospel where Jesus said this, Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so the command to love one another as God loved has loved us is this call to love in an agape way, to love with agape love. It's a decision to love one another with the greatest good of the other in mind, to love wholeheartedly and even sacrificially as Jesus loved us. And this command to love one another, that's what the spiritual, earthly spiritual family is supposed to look like. That's the goal. That's the ideal. And this love one another, um, initial one another here, is also the foundation for the rest of the one another's. The rest are really love in action. Excuse me. The second one, carry each other's burdens, or bear one another's burdens. A, lo- a lot of us may be familiar with that, that version of it. Um, a couple of years ago, one of our family underwent a pretty significant surgery. High success rate for this particular procedure and we weren't really expecting a bad outcome, but it was tough to sign the paperwork that said, you know, they may not make it off the table alive. And what made it even harder was that Sam and I were between churches at this point in time, and so we're off to the waiting room, the surgical waiting room, and we're sitting there by ourselves, and we longed to have someone come in, how you doing, how's it going, I wanna pray for you. We longed to have that happen, but it just wasn't for us at that point in time. Galatians chapter 6, we read this. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, to carry or to bear in this passage is a really interesting phrase. It means to take up and to carry away. It means to carry off, to take it away. And so I think we understand that. It means to support in a very significant way. And a burden here is a heaviness, a personal weight that has a lot of uh, of personal significance. Now, Galatians 6 says that when we come alongside a brother or sister and help with their burden, we're fulfilling the law or the command of Christ. And this is actually a reference to Matthew 22, where the Pharisees are asking Jesus, which of the commands is the greatest? And he responds with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we help a fellow believer carry their burden, we're fulfilling the command of Christ. We're obeying what Christ has asked of us by loving that fellow believer in that way, by carrying that load along with them. And this is the way that the spiritual family is supposed to relate. It's actually the command of Christ. We're called to relate in this way. Teach and admonish one another. That's the third one. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. All right, so here in Colossians, we see teaching is an important aspect of of the spiritual family, and we're familiar with that. I think we understand that. Believers who are more mature are called to teach those who are new to the faith or are less mature uh, to help them grow in their understanding of God and his character and his ways. Now, in order to teach well, believers need the word of God dwelling richly within them. That's what the passage says. So what does that look like? How can this happen? In his first letter, Peter gives us a key as to what this takes. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Paul gives us another huge key here in Timothy when he says this, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So if we want the word of of God to dwell richly within us, we need to have a longing for the Word, like that newborn baby for food, and we need to be diligently digging into the Word of God, like the workman. And so one is the heart piece, one is the practice piece, and both of these are important uh, in terms of the believer opening themselves up to the Word of God and it dwelling richly within them. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed, you probably did, but teaching and admonishing go hand in hand in this passage. Teaching we get, we understand that. You know, we see it often. We understand what that looks like. But admonishing is a lot more intimidating. That word we kind of go, mm, "I'm not so sure. But it actually happens all the time. On occasion in second service, when, I, when I've been in first service, I'll hang in the, in the foyer a little bit, and the kids are running all over the place, and the kids are going, hey, don't do that. Well, that's admonishing. You know, we, we've, we've all heard something like that. We've all expressed something like that. Parents admonish their kids. A boss will admonish an employee when they wanna see change or improvement. Playoffs are on right now in lots of different sports. Coach calls a timeout, gives them a little bit of direction, tells them, hey, don't do that, we need to do this instead. That's admonishing, okay? So we are actually familiar with it. Admonishment is encouragement, instruction, advice, and even warning for the purpose of making improvement. And we're called to do that, to teach and admonish one another, but we're to do it with wisdom, not in an unthinking or selfish way, and for the purpose of spiritual growth. Now, I'm going to take another verse here that we're all very familiar with, but we've not necessarily connected these two before. And this is in Matthew's gospel where Jesus says this. Excuse me. Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Familiar passage for many of us, the Great Commission. And so Jesus is telling us here that teaching and following in obedience, hearing the word and then learning to obey that, that's essential for making disciples. And really, when you boil this one another down, teaching and admonishing, it's the same thing. A little bit different lingo, admonishing, but that admonishing is about learning to put into practice those things that we're learning about, teaching to obey. It's the same deal. And so this one another, teaching and admonishing, is really about making disciples. It's about saying, God, what are you, what are you speaking to me about? As I listen to the, to the Logos Word, as I listen to the sermon, as I read, read Scripture for myself, what are you saying to me, Lord? What are you saying to me through your Rema Word, through the Holy Spirit as he speaks to me? What are you saying, and how will I respond to that in, in a way that, in obedience, so that my life is changed as I learn to trust you more and more and rely upon you? Teaching and admonishing. That which moves us toward deeper discipleship is a key part being involved in a spiritual family. Next one, forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as as in Christ God forgave you. Every one of us here this morning is a part of an earthly family. We just are, we wouldn't be born if you weren't a part of an earthly family. And as members of that family, you know that relational stuff happens. Lots of good stuff, gathering, helping, supporting, you know, praising, joy, celebration, there's, there's good stuff that happens in our earthly families, for sure. And there's also disappointment and disagreement and even offense at times and distance. Same is true of your spiritual family. When you're in a spiritual family, there's many good things. You know, we love and we care and we disciple one another, we help, and at times we offend each other. I don't think we do it on purpose, but we tick each other off once in a while within the family, within the spiritual family, we do. We hurt each other. And when that happens, and it will, because we're forgiven, not perfect, and we're in family together, when that happens, we need to forgive one another. We need to deal with that offense, and we need to make it right. You may need to have a conversation like Matthew 5 and 18 tell us. I've done that on occasion. I have had to do that. Or we may need to simply let it go if it's a bit of a lesser issue. But regardless, the bottom line is that we need to forgive because that's what Jesus did for us. Our sin against God was so great that it damaged our relationship with with him forever. Yet because of his great love, God took the initiative and he made our relationship right again through Jesus. This is the model of forgiveness that God established for us. And this is what we need to do within our spiritual family for a couple of big reasons. To stay healthy as a spiritual family and for us to stay growing as individuals. We need to be forgiving. We need to be working on that. We need to be engaging. And that's what lays that foundation for us to be moving forward. That's what Christ did for us. Again, lots more we could look at. But I think we get a picture here this morning of what, you know, the core of a spiritual family can look like. Just a few of the key one and others. All right? So I I think we get that. But there's also several things that can get in the way of that. There's some some blockages, some barriers to to spiritual family, to to Christian community and I wanna talk about those for a few minutes. The first is on emphasis on personal salvation and individualism. Our tendency in North America is to make the focus of the gospel primarily on the individual. Jesus came to save individuals from sin and bring them to personal salvation. This is absolutely true, totally true. And as a result, we've emphasized the importance of a personal commitment to faith. Again, completely true. And sometimes I think we miss a part of that bigger picture that goes along with this. Jesus came to rescue us and restore us into relationship with God as our Father and to one another as family, as siblings. Christ redeemed us individually and collectively. Through faith in Christ's death and uh, resurrection, we are reconciled to God and we are brought together into the community of faith, the family of God, the church. Notice the the communal aspect of Peter's letter here. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Being a follower of Jesus is not a solo sport. It's not a solo sport. In fact, there are 59 commandments in the, New Temest, in the New Testament that you can't even begin to practice if you're trying to do faith alone. All those one and others. What do you do with that? That's not something that you can do by yourself. And so we need to realize and embrace the richness that's here in terms of functioning and growing with, with other followers as the family of God. All right, first block. Second one. You guys are well acquainted with this, you probably would have chosen it as number one and that's busyness. Most of us have extremely full overtaxing work schedules that leave little time for much else. But in addition to the demands of the job, we're also masters when it comes to filling every spare minute of the day with activities for ourselves and our kids. This hectic overscheduled life means that most of our energy is spent investing in our needs and those of our family. The result is that we have little time and less energy for relationships in the church. Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you is based in that agape love that he modeled for us. And this is a self-sacrificing, self-giving love. And the truth that many of us have to realize is that involvement in spiritual family takes sacrifice. It does. It takes sacrifice. We may need to say no to some of our personal pursuits and possibly even some of those of our our family, if we want to connect deeply with others in community. It takes sacrifice on some of of that stuff. But here's the beauty in what some people may consider loss. Once you engage deeply with other believers, you don't miss all the activity and the running around and all the rat race. The hurried life is replaced by deepened relationships that nurture your soul. And increase the influence that you have on others regarding the gospel. Instead of running with your kids to activities, being involved in a spiritual family as your family gives you the opportunity to have your kids with you as you do life together with other families. That's a a cool thing. After being involved in life group ministry for 25 years of my 35 years of ministry, one of my greatest joys is to see my kids involved in life groups. They were here this morning. They were nodding here. These are not groups that I set up. (laughs) These are not groups that I asked them to be a part of. They did this all on their own, just with friendships that they have within the church. Next thing I know, you know, we go over to visit. Well, no, it's all taken care of. We're good. Don't eat supper tonight. It's been a crazy day, I know. But yeah, our life group's bringing it over. Awesome. You know, they're doing that kind of stuff. And I believe it's because of God's grace and work in their lives totally. And we're so thankful for that. And I'd like to think it's because of the model of community that they saw in us. As we were growing up, as they were growing up, as we were growing up as a family and the connection that we had with other families. Here's the third block, superficial relationships. And this really is just a, the culmination of the first two. The result of individualism and our hectic lifestyles is that many of our relationships are shallow and surfacey. Because of the pattern of living we've fallen into, Many of us are uncomfortable with seeking authentic relationships in the church, and we're poorly equipped to, to develop Christian, deep Christian, authentic community. The sad reality for many of us here is that we have many colleagues and acquaintances, but few deep, deep relationships, especially in church. Another block home life. For some, the painful reality is that you've come from a difficult home situation. For those with this background, the idea of community in a spiritual family just recalls a whole world of hurt. Neglectful parents, abusive fathers, pushy moms, angry siblings, missed expectations. I mean, all that's hurtful stuff. Why would I want to be involved in a spiritual family when family just means pain? Others have experienced strong, healthy home life, for sure. And many of us in Ebenezer are blessed with this, for sure. For many, a strong faith in Christ binds us together with our nuclear family. Having a strong home life is a very special blessing, for sure. Having said that, when you come from a strong home, you may not feel the need or have the opportunity to look for deep connection within the church because your need for family, for spiritual family, is met within the context of your physical family. And for some, this challenge, goes, this challenge goes even one step further. One writer suggested this: that some believers even struggle with making physical family too great a priority, to the point of it becoming a source of adultery. Our physical families are incredibly important; they're a blessing. And because of Jesus, we belong to another family, an additional family, a huge mass of extended family, and that's the family of God, which has it. There's incredible blessing that Christ tells us about in Matthew 19, that comes as we're a part of that, that larger, greater family of God. This is Jesus here, Matthew 19. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or ch- children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So our physical families, they're important. And those of you who have come from that healthy home, your spiritual family needs you. Your spiritual family needs you to to share what you have and to be a blessing to other people in terms of what you have, to open up your homes, open up your lives, and to contribute to others who perhaps haven't had what you've had, to model that. Your spiritual family needs you to share all the good stuff that you've had within your physical families. Here's the last one, past hurt in the church. Many people have been wronged by believers within within the church. When this happens, those who have been hurt are often hesitant to invest deeply in spiritual family. I think we understand that. We get that. I I get that. The sad but true reality is that offense, misunderstanding, hurt, sin, and brokenness will always be a part of the church because sinful people exist in it. We're all sinful. And we're forgiven when we trust in Christ. And we're not perfect. Stuff is going to happen tough stuff is going to happen. But by God's grace, we need to move forward and forgive one another as God forgave us, as we learn to live in this messy reality together. Don't think with all of the talk that we've had about doing life together and, and the one and others, they look pretty awesome. But it's messy. It is messy, because it's family. Family isn't always straight and simple and, and, and you know, clean and unicorns and roses and all that, family is is life to life and is challenging. But as we move forward, uh, practicing what it is that God has asked us to do, and there's bumps along the way, and you really embrace what it is that Jesus taught us in terms of forgiving and loving and admonishing and teaching and, and serving, all of a sudden there's a richness there that comes in the midst of the messiness. And that is something that God has has asked his, his, those who follow him to be a part of as we do this physical, spiritual family stuff together. So we've talked about spiritual family, what it's supposed to look like, and one another's guide us in that. We've looked at some of the barriers that keep us from getting involved. And now I'm just going to mush all this together <laughs> and pull out a couple of takeaways that, that I hope will resonate with us today. Here's the first one. God calls us to connect with, one, with other believers in a radical and sacrificial way. Our culture says, live for yourself, look out for number one. But that's not the way of Jesus. We've been saved from sin into the family of God. And that means doing life together. That's what the stories were about that we heard on Testimony Sunday a couple weeks back, right? Lots of those were about that. That's what the one and others are about. And living like this can be done by yourself. It will take sacrifice on our part to engage with other believers in this, in this way of living, to engage at this level. And so are you willing to let go of that stuff that seems important right now, but may not actually make a difference in the big picture of eternity? Are you willing to let go of some of that stuff that's so important to engage in what's really important for the big picture? For eternity. We need to ask ourselves that question this morning. Here's a second takeaway. Sunday morning is really important, but the ideal place for deep Christian community is in a smaller gathering. It's in a smaller gathering. Jesus clearly says that we're to go and make disciples. All right, discipleship is important, but you may be surprised to hear that discipleship does not happen best on a Sunday morning in this format. The reality is that for the most part, we receive teaching here. Good teaching, I hope. Teaching that that we pray is inspired by the Spirit of God. And we worship together, and that's important. We love doing that. We appreciate those with those gifts of ministry. This is all good stuff. We need to be here. We need to be here on Sunday. But we don't interact with each other, with one another, on a Sunday morning in a way that allows us to deeply process what we've heard. We can't discuss those things that God is laying on our hearts with each other, you know, that come from the teaching of the Word that should be implemented in our lives. In all honesty, every one of us here this morning could get up and leave after the service and visit a little bit and forget what we talked about the moment you're out the doors. And there's really no life change. Good service, we enjoyed it, good music, but you leave and you look exactly the same as you did when you, when you came, It's tough to learn how to trust in God's guidance, to to Matthew 28, the teaching and the obeying, the teaching and admonishing. It's tough to do that for our lives to change while we sit in rows, looking at the back of people's heads. This happens best when we're in smaller community, in a smaller spiritual family where trust has been developed and we can lovingly interact and teach and admonish and ask questions. How does this work? This is what I'm sense God is saying to me. Okay, I'm going to be praying for you. How did that go last week? Well, you know, I, it, I didn't get a chance. Well, you know what? Hey, next week we're praying for you. And you make these adjustments or, or there's forgiveness that's sought or confession that's made. That happens best in a smaller community. Now, some of us on Sunday morning are come and we're carrying heavy burdens. And there's some sharing that happens here on Sunday, absolutely, and some caring that happens, absolutely. The prayer times that we have on Sunday morning are great in the corners, and at times we'll meet with people and pray for them afterwards. But the reality is it's hard to carry everyone's burden on a Sunday morning. It's impossible for the pastoral staff to know about every need that comes through the door. There's just too many. And even if we knew about all the needs, it's really hard to respond to every need. That's why connecting with spiritual family in smaller gatherings is so important. We can multiply ministry in smaller gatherings. Every one of you on that side of the pulpit who said yes to Christ has a spiritual gift. You do. Teaching, pastoring, shepherding, you know, maybe gifts of healing. We don't know. God knows. And you've been given those. And we need those within the body. Working in smaller gatherings multiplies that. And in all honesty, there's probably people out there who are better at shepherding, at walking with people through deep stuff than some of the paid pastoral staff, because God has gifted you. And you need to use those gifts. You need to engage in in one another ministry in these smaller communities, and that's that's where that can be applied and multiplied as God uses you, you know, what he's given to you. So smaller gatherings, ministries multiplied. And in that smaller gathering, burdens can be shared and responded to within the context of relationship. So you know what's going on. And some of the burdens that are shared are not like a, a one-week kind of a carry. Some of these are longer term. And in a smaller community, that, that family can walk along with you long-term in an ongoing way. All right, so Sunday morning, super important. Paul taught publicly. And smaller gatherings, very important. Paul talked publicly and from house to house. We've got to do it. Third takeaway. At Ebenezer Life Groups are where we experience our spiritual family. This is the place where we can really put the one another into practice. This is the place where we, we do life together. So if you want to be a part of a deeper Christian community in a spiritual family, Life groups are the place where we want to see this happening at Ebenezer. Now, having said that, they're in a huge transition point right now. I'm retiring. There's some others that are stepping into the leadership on that. We're clarifying that. The direction, we got a a direction, but it's not totally refined yet. Like, we're working on this, okay? And so there's a transition time there. It's in a time of change. Secondly, the pandemic has been really hard on everything. And we lost a bunch of leaders. It's just part of what happened in the pandemic. And so we need leaders. We don't have enough leaders for everyone to be in a small community right now. And so if you sense that God is shoulder-tapping you, and all of a sudden you're saying, you know what? That giftedness that you were talking about a couple of minutes ago, I'm, yeah, God is, I know God's given me something here that I need to pay attention to. If God is shoulder-tapping you, make yourself available. You know, talk to, to Chet or myself or to Grace Um, and we've got some training stuff that we put together. They'd be happy to lead you through that, you know, to mentor and and train and disciple and and to model this for you. Uh, Talk to them. We, We need you to be involved, and we want to support you and equip you to do this ministry together. That stuff will be coming soon, so watch for it. And pray for the ministry. We need your prayers, and be patient. We know where we're going. We know the direction, and it's going to take a little bit to get there. Fourthly, we need to realize that what we do now makes a difference for tomorrow. Leighton has said we're only one generation away from losing, from losing the church, from losing our faith and witness. So what you do now, and more importantly than that, how you live now, in terms of the, the spiritual family, will have a huge impact on your kids and on the church and on the future of the church. So it's time to love one another and care for one another and disciple one another and do life together in a radical and in a sacrificial way that will lay a foundation for what the church is going to look like tomorrow. We need to really think about that. And that's my hope and that's my prayer for Ebenezer. We really embrace this, that we really understand this, and we really start to engage in this direction. To me, that's incredibly exciting to think about. At this point in time, I want to invite the worship team, please, to come on up. We'll share communion together. And when we share communion, typically our focus has been on on the individual and on the truth that Jesus gave himself for me, for my sin, so that I might have a right relationship with him. Again, completely true. And today, as we've talked about spiritual family, I also want to remind us that Jesus also gave himself for the church, for the bride of Christ, of which he is head. That's how important spiritual family is. And so as we share communion this morning, I'm just gonna ask you to reflect uh, on how, you know, where you're at personally. Give thanks, give praise. Maybe there's something that you need to confess and make right, reflect on that as an individual. And take a couple of minutes and just think about as as well where you're at in terms of engaging with the church and connecting with spiritual family and what you've contributed and how you might contribute. Just encourage you to spend some time um, reflecting on that as well. First Corinthians 11, verse 23. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, today we wanna thank you for the body of Christ that was given for us. Thank you that Jesus went willingly to the cross on our behalf and that he gave his body, that it was broken for us for the redemption of our sin. We give you praise for that today, for the fact that it sets us free, and for the fact that the foundation of the church is built upon this. We give you thanks for that sacrifice, in Jesus' name, amen. And so I'll ask you now to just take uh, the cups that have been, um, were at the door, and if you didn't pick one up and you want one, please just put up your hand. We've got people with trays here, and you can grab one. There's a little bit of a process to this that, <laughs> that we need to pay attention to. There's just a clear wafer, like a clear cover over the wafer. Just pull that first. If you don't, you'll open the juice, and then it's really hard to, to open the wafer later on. And if you've somehow, you know, um, not gotten it quite right, that's okay. Just put up your hand. We can bring another, another one for you. But once that top is peeled off, I just invite you to take the wafer now. And let's partake of this together. This represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. Let's eat together. Verse 25. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we want to thank you for the blood of Jesus that was spilt on our behalf, for the blood that washes us whiter than snow, and for the blood, again, that's the foundation of the church. We are eternally thankful for what you've done on our behalf. We ask it in your name. Amen. So I just want to invite you now. (laughs) I can't get it open. Little confession, I have incredibly thick fingernails. I can use them for a screwdriver. <laughs> I demolish Ziploc bags, and I can't get this open. Chat, you wanna give me a hand? I'm serious. What are you about my <laughs> or do you have another? Thank you, Lee. <laughs> Thank you so much. There's the truth, <laughs> I'm okay with that. But the truth as well is that Christ gave himself for us. And this represents the blood that was shed on our behalf. Let's share together. In Hebrews 13, we read this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip, equip you with every good, everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, again, the uh, barbecue, the family picnic starts at 2.30. Look forward to seeing you all there. It's going to be a fantastic time. God bless.
0: Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.